Matt Giovannisi has been creating niche websites for the past 17 years, including Swim University, which gets millions of visitors and makes $250,000 in revenue from this one niche site. And since most of his business is from written content, we dive into the world of AI and see how it might impact the future of blogging. Do I think it'll happen? Yes. Do I want it to happen? No. So if you want to hear how Matt is future-proofing his business, let's go. Matt, pumped to be here, dude. And we're going to get straight into the good stuff. AI is all the rage. If you're anywhere on the internet, all you see is chat GPT this, AI tool that, this industry is going to go extinct because of this AI. And there's just a lot of talk and fear and uncertainty and opportunity around AI. Mm. And you've done a lot in online businesses. How do you think tools like ChatGPT and versions of that that are going to get spun up by competitors are going to change search-based businesses? And to kind of lead into that question, I've got two tweets mm. by you that are somewhat recent that I'm going to read that- yeah, They're not old tweets, um, right? That's good. Again, somewhat compete with each other. And we'll see where this all shakes out. So the first tweet says, want more traffic? I've studied SEO for 18 years and it's simple. One, find keywords people are searching for. Two, research ranking posts, question in the comments. Three, make an outline answering the core question. Four, write the best article at a third grade level. Five, publish and repeat. Mm. Now, your next tweet said, Google will become chat GPT. Ask and get an instant answer. No more digging through SERPs, which is like blogs and all this stuff. Yeah. So... Well, How? I said crazy prediction. Yes. Okay, you know, cool. Cra crazy prediction. Cra I'm, I'm, I'm aware it's crazy. But I, to me, it seems super practical. This seems somewhat inevitable. The timeline, who knows? But assume that this is the direction we're heading. Like businesses that are search-based, right? It could be a niche blog, like mm -hmm. you're known for building. It could be a local service-based business that depends on search to, to get leads. How do you see this AI, especially the chat GPT type, tools like in the future impacting businesses so chat gpt3 you know like i've been using jasper for it feels like a year or two it feels like i've been using it a lot when i first saw it when i first played with jasper i was like whoa okay i am not by trade a writer i can free write and i can do a lot of stuff but like the research and just like prompts are really tough for me and so like i looked at Jasper and things as really quick ways to generate descriptions, really short things to give me like a really crappy first rough draft. I think it's a good tool. And then like obviously chat GPT three or whatever came out and people like lost their minds. And I kind of just feel like it's similar to what Jasper was doing, but I, it's obviously more powerful. And people were like, oh, OK, well, you know, like no one said niche sites were dead after Jasper came out. Everyone saw it as a tool, but then chat GPT three comes out and they're like, oh, this is going to kill the business or whatever. So I see like Jasper is more business focused. Yeah. The business is using it and yeah. ChatGPT seems like there's a lot more likelihood that becomes more consumer facing. Yes, that's the way I saw it. Just because it like permeated the like general newscape. And I just thought to myself, wait, how is this not Google right now? I heard people were like typing in and trying to get like medical advice from it. And I'm like, yeah, that's a bad idea right now because like I'll type in something about pools like pool care or pond care into it and it'll spit out wrong information all the time. So I'm like, like, okay, well, I know it's not there yet, but then I saw this graph of like how much chat GPT-4 has, and they're already beta testing that. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. So all they have to do is fix the problem of it being incorrect, 
which Google kind of- And you're meaning like how many data points it has versus the previous version. Yeah, and and like, who's to say that Google isn't wrong now when it pulls snippets? Like, who's to say that the person that wrote that snippet originally like wasn't wrong when they wrote it? Google doesn't, I don't know if they're fact-checking that stuff or not, probably not, but why couldn't they build an AI that fact-checks? It's inevitable that to me, it seems that the problem with Google as a consumer is that when I type in a question, I have to sort for my own answer. It takes me time to look through results through crappy, slow websites mostly, and like through 30 minutes of text. It's like when you Google a recipe, like everyone talks about that as being like the problem with recipe blogs, which is like, <laughs> I just want to know what the recipe is. I don't need the story behind the recipe. And so the hundred um, ads that are baked into the page. Yeah. And that's how they make their money and stuff. And that is Google's business model. They do own AdSense, right? They don't own a lot of the other ones, but they own AdSense. And so like, I just thought, well, if people are already typing in medical and asking the stupid thing for medical advice, and it gets even remotely better, like very soon, then why wouldn't Google just replace its search with that? Like it just gives you instant answers and they can still run ads on those answers. Like every time you type in something, it's a new prompt for a new set of ads. I kind of feel like they could still make money on that. And then I found out that, you know, yesterday that they are actually doing that. I don't want it to happen, but kind of feels like it is. And I was talking to a friend yesterday about this, which was like, as human beings, like reading something that was generated by AI, it's like our bullshit meters like won't go off right away all the time. But like, if you saw a deep fake on YouTube, then you're like, okay, well, yeah, that's fake. And we don't, we immediately don't pay attention. It's like when you hear the robot voice on a YouTube video, you're like, okay, like this is not, even if that got better over time, I still feel like we'll just always be able to like kind of tell just like the way we can tell right now, like when something's CGI and not, but the disingenuousness of it, I think will eventually wane, but it's going to be a while, I think, for video and other forms, like even podcasting, like our bullshit meters are going to go off. But with words on a page, I feel like it's going to be tough. And now that everybody has access to these tools, what makes my writing any better than AI's write? How do I differentiate myself there? And partially, it could be your writing, right? If your writing is part of the data set that it's pulling from. Right? Yeah. So it could be taking some of your flavor oh, and yeah. gets crafted into the output. Which also just sucks from a creative perspective. And I hope that like us as human beings are like, we're not cool with the idea of being taught by AI all the time. Do I think it'll happen? Yes. Do I want it to happen? No. So I'm not trying to be like a doomsday say or anything it kind of feels sure. like that's where everything's going. Let's just keep playing on the thread that it does move in this direction. Someone like you that I think it's almost been like 17 years or something since you mm. started Swim University was one of your niche sites. Like how would that impact from a just like words on the page? I know you have other strategies for traffic around yeah. YouTube and like that, but what would that do from just a pure search perspective if 50% of the market was like highly using something like ChatGPT? I don't care if other bloggers are using a tool to generate the words on a page. That part doesn't scare me. I can beat those people. I had a tweet once that was like, my imagination is greater than your algorithm or something like that. That's not the part I'm worried about. The part that like worries me is when Google replaces the SERPs with a straight up answer. So like, I don't wanna conflate those two things. I've said this before in a tweet, which was like, now that anybody can just hit a button and generate pretty much garbage right now, then that's what's gonna happen. The internet's gonna get flooded with shit, right? It's just gonna get flooded with garbage because everyone can do it. And then 
at that point, and this has happened before, cream will rise to the top, right? The best stuff, the human being, like crazy creative, crazy imaginative stuff will rise to the top if Google continues to use this SERP model. If they don't, well, then it doesn't really matter. Like, I'm not afraid of AI and my words compared to AI. I'm a better writer because I will care more. And no matter how many prompts some dumb dumb throws at chat GBT, like they're still not going to write a better article than me. They just won't be able to be entertaining. They just won't be able to do it. And I b believe that because it's like, well, I'm a human being and I know how to write and I know how to like appeal to people and I know how to make them and make things entertaining and I know how to write jokes and I know how to like do all of these things and care about the work that I'm actually putting out in the world. The people who I'm, again, have never been worried about for doing this for like 17, 18 years, like I've seen in this industry, I see sites come up, they might beat me for like a couple months and I go, all right, you're going to be toast in about six months because I'm still going to be here and you're going to end up selling your site or you're not going to make enough money from this because whatever, and you're just going to shut down the site. I've seen it come and go. And that's just what happens when you have these tools. It just allows mediocrity. I think Canva is one of those tools too. Like Canva made design easier to everybody. But if you go on YouTube, everyone's using the same fucking thumbnail on all of their, I'm sorry, am I allowed to curse? I don't know. Everyone's using the same thumb thumbnail template. So I'm like, well, this sucks. You know what I mean? This is what everybody does. Like they don't use the tool as a creative person they use the tool for like speed and getting things done as fast as possible my prediction i think maybe it's like less crazy than google just doing away with their cert model i think what they're going to do is like a version of the featured snippet where chat gpt type response is just right below the search bar or right under the ads, right? And you get served that, which could solve your problems, or you could scroll down to find a specific blog article. I don't think that that's a bad thing because obviously like they're Google stealing our content anyway and just providing it for free on the SERP. And so how many of those people are actually like clicking through to read more? It's like, all right, well, Google, you win, I guess. I'm reliant on you for traffic and you just stole my shit. And now everyone's trying to get those featured snippets. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens between Microsoft and their lackluster attempt for the past decade plus in Bing. And if they integrate that pretty heavily, what that's going to do from a usage standpoint mm -hmm. between Google and Microsoft. I just feel like Google has such, like, they're a verb. But I yeah. feel like once you, can, once you can throw something into a verb, it's hard to break that streak. Is there anything else you're seeing in the AI space from a creator standpoint that you're like paying close attention to, whether it be a good thing, a bad thing, neutral, anything else you're keeping your eye on? Yeah, pictures. They're terrible. Like, again, I'm seeing mediocre creators put AI generated images into their like newsletters and blog posts. And I'm just like, this is, this, this serves no purpose. Like you just did this because you could, you didn't think yeah. that you should. I mean, should I? <laughs> like what's that line from Jurassic Park? Yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think that they should. That's what I see. And it's just like, again, because anybody can do it, it's just going to flood the market. And then we're all going to recognize it as it gets better. Sure. It'll become more and more unrecognizable. And then, you know, everyone's using AI to generate their like avatars, but like no one's really using it that I've seen anything of worth of note besides like as a gimmick for a YouTube video or a gimmick for like, hey, guess what? This was generated by AI. Like they're all calling it out. So is it actually going to do anything or are we all just going to be like, huh, see, look what I made with this stupid tool, right? I saw a good quote from Alex Tramozzi, if you know who he is, mm -hmm. where he said, I'm not worried about 
to GPT-3 or 4. I'm worried about GPT-40 and what that does. Uh, yeah, I saw his tweet about like, here's the data set of GPT-3 and then like, here's the data set of GPT-4 and they're already testing G GPT-4. It's still a data set that's created by us. And that is just a taste thing. But like the majority of us suck at creating stuff. If you just have a pool of shit and you try to filter something gold out of that, it's still going to be like gold covered in shit. I don't have a good analogy for this, but like, you know what I mean? It's always going to be mediocre if you're always pulling from a data set of the general pop. And unless it can actually create its own thoughts and feelings and actually be a human being, which I guess is the example of GPT-40. I think at that point, when I have other problems. Yeah, I, exactly. Like when people talk about stuff happening in the economy, like yeah. the dollar tank, I'm like, you yeah, when something drastic happens, we have bigger problems probably to yeah, focus and, and on. The only thing like the only people that are really talking about chat chat GPT in like a negative kind of like scary way is like internet kids. So basically we're in an echo chamber. Yeah. Like I saw like when it was like when Clubhouse came out and I was like, oh, I can't stop hearing about Clubhouse. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm only hearing it because I'm on Twitter. I'm like, I'm not yeah, hearing yeah. it anywhere else in the world. People are like GPT what? Yeah. <laughs> there was a friend of mine, Spencer Hollis from uh, Niche Pursuits. He was like, I'm thinking I'm going, I'm going to do a video where I go into Walmart and ask people what they think about chat GPT. And I'm like, wow. Wow, good luck with that, because I don't think anyone's going to know what the hell you're talking about. I did have a conversation like I thought, again, I was in an echo chamber on Twitter and it's like, fine, I you know I like living in a little chamber sometimes like I get where I am. I'm self-aware enough. And then it was like I went out to dinner and there was a friend. He's a coder, so he's like kind of in the world. So like he was kind of freaking out about it. And I was like, God damn it. I don't want to talk about this at dinner. Like I, I do that on Twitter when I'm like shit posting. OK, I don't need to do it here at dinner. Yeah, totally. And we've talked about AI and possibly how it could impact traffic. When it comes to right now, to put a, a timestamp on this, we're in 2023. As years go by and things, trends come and go, chat, GPT, AI, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, social media, et cetera. Traffic sources change, go up and go down. What are you focused on building and implementing to continue to drive traffic to Swim University and your other pieces of digital real estate that you're creating out there? For Swim University specifically, I happen to be in a niche that requires a lot of actual know-how. And if you don't know anything about pool care, the information will be incorrect. You kind of need to know that. So like what we're doing on the website, and this is what we've been doing for, I want to say like close to eight years now, is we treat the website as a digital textbook. We have 225 or 250 posts, and we've had those same posts on our site for, again, like eight years. Every once in a while, we'll add a new post if a new keyword pops up that like maybe some new tech pops up or now that more people own pools post the pandemic, there's more search volume on terms that we just wouldn't need to go after because they were so low volume. But now like Everybody has a stock tank pool. Everyone has an index pool. They're all searching for like how to raise pH as opposed to like just what is pH or whatever. So essentially a digital textbook, whereas, you know, you have this massive, massive guide, this like 2023 version of what is mathematics or like what is algebra. And then each year it's updated and the college kids have to spend crazy amounts of money to buy this new book. In our case, it's completely free and it's always evolving. It's not like a printed edition. That's the way we think about content. We are tracking every single piece of content in our pool and we're going, okay, this one's slipping a little bit. Why? Let's go look at it. Let's see what our competition's doing. Let's see what questions our customers or our visitors have that we're not answering. And let's improve that article. Let's add a video. Let's add graphs. 
Let's add graphics that make sense that actually teach people. Let's delete some words because maybe they're not getting through the first half of the, you know, maybe our intro paragraph is a little too fluffy and is not getting their answers straight away. So we just look at every single post and how we can improve it, which is so different than every other platform. Because if you were to produce YouTube videos consistently, right, you were publishing a video every week, you could look at your retention graphs in the previous video and then improve upon that on the second video. But you can't improve the retention on the original video. Like once it's published, it's published. There are some tricks where you can like edit things out and stuff in the YouTube app. But for the most part, you're stuck with that. Whereas the blogs, you can actually look at like a bunch of different metrics on a blog post and go, why is this not getting traffic? And then you can improve it. We don't chase every micro keyword on the planet unless we know it makes sense for our audience, unless we know it's going to make us sales on our products, then we will do it. And when we do it, since we've been doing this since 2006, our authority is there. And so when we create a new article, it's well-researched, it's well done, it's got personal touches from me because I've been in the pool industry, right? So it's got these things and we create our own graphs, we do our own videos, and so then we just publish it and it usually ranks pretty fast. So um, that's the way we treat the blog and don't plan on changing that strategy anytime soon. To me, it just makes the most sense. It also encourages repeat visits. That's another thing too, a lot of niche bloggers and especially if like affiliate blogs, I think get wrong or at least like don't take into consideration, which is yes, I wanna rank, yes, I want traffic, but I don't want to rely on Google for the repeat traffic. If you come to my website and you own a pool, great. I don't want you to leave and then have another problem that you have to Google. And hopefully I rank for that keyword for you to come back. What I want to do is wrap you and collect you into my ecosystem while I have you the first time. And we use this analogy too for like the way that we treat affiliate links on our website. We think of it like a small mom and pop retail store. This is what I used to do. I used to work in multiple retail stores in the pool industry. And the goal was like, get them in the door, give them like literally help them with their problem recommend the products that you have that you can stock in your store, the stuff that's really good. And then they'll come back because it's like you did them a service. But even better than that, if I can like add some sort of retention tactic, like, hey, join our loyalty program or hey, you know, here's a coupon, come back and, you know, your next batch of chemicals is free or like come in for this free water test. It's free every time you come in, just sign it on your email address here. Like those tactics work online. It's like we have our affiliate links that we trust their products, right? We started making our own to replace those links because we get a higher margin on those. And then we just employ retention tactics because we want repeat business. A customer drove by the store. They saw us. They came in. Great. Praise be. But now I have to do everything in my power to keep you there so that you come back over and over again. And I don't have to hope that you drive past my store and have the same thought you did on that day to want to stop in. So that is like kind of our entire business model with the blog. And then on top of that, I'm super, super invested in YouTube this year across all three of my brands. It is a future proofing place. I think. I don't think YouTube's going anywhere. It's going to be a long time before AI can like make great YouTube videos. So for me, like that is sort of the lens in which I'm like, okay, that feels future proofing. And it also has a higher conversion rate than our blog. Also from a competition standpoint, like the barrier to entry is a lot higher. Yeah. To do it good, right? You know, the barrier to entry is high, I think on a blog too, but yes, it is lower, just like podcasts, like a little lower, but to do those, all three of those things, super well. That's just the only thing you can really focus on is like just 
do it better than everybody else is doing it. That's what we're going to do with Money Lab this year. That's what we're doing with Swim University. That's what you plan on doing with like my homebrewing site. That thought process is going to be behind those motivations. Now, YouTube is like kind of the perfect combination of what makes podcasts so great at selling things is because it's such an intimate relationship between me as a human being and you as a listener, right? Like you almost get to know me and be my like friend without even like actually being my friend. When I say a product or when I talk about something like you in inherently would trust that if you trust me. So it develops that like relationship. Video, I think, is just like 10 times more powerful than that because one, you can see me and, you know, we have this relationship. And two, YouTube actually has like a discoverability engine that podcasts really don't have right now. In yeah. fact, they're all moving their podcasts over to YouTube. And you look at like creators like Mr. Beast and like they're becoming billionaires because of YouTube, not because of a fucking blog. Single creators, essentially, like solo creators. Obviously, they have teams, but it's still very personality driven. And I think that's going to be really hard for AI to replace in the near to late future. On top of that, yes, we are looking at and we are doing social media. But what we're essentially doing is YouTube shorter because like yep. all these social media platforms now are video platforms and the biggest difference between like youtube and say instagram which is why i don't like instagram is it's really hard to convert somebody from a 60 second video into a customer but with youtube if you were to put up a short you know the way that i think of shorts is like they're commercials for your long form content and so it's like, you know, you have to run commercials for your sitcom so they go watch the sitcom, like 30 second clips of your sitcom to see, is this funny? Do I, am I engaged? Do I want to watch the show? And once they're locked into that ecosystem, then it's all in platform, which is the beauty of YouTube shorts and why I think that's where I've been like, especially on Money Lab, I have no interest in going on Instagram because it's so much harder to grow a business that is reliant on digital media as opposed to if I was selling D to C stuff. At that case, I just run ads or do like UGC content. So for Swim University, we are like doing mainly long form videos. We will probably start doing shorts this year. And we are just taking those shorts and publishing them on TikTok and Instagram because it literally takes two seconds to take that same content that we already make for YouTube and put it on those other platforms. Yeah, so and we've got a couple clients. They'll be doing content on, like you said, Instagram, for example, yeah. and the conversion is hard, right? To a sell, like you were mentioning. Yeah. But what we found is like when they would have videos that popped off, meaning if average video gets a couple like 10, 20, 30,000 views, and then you get one that gets like a million, two million, five million views. What we would see is it wouldn't necessarily lead to direct sales from Instagram to their product. We would see that that data where we would have also have spikes on YouTube, not related to the short form content where people would discover them. Like, oh, like this person seemed interesting, crave more content, longer content from yes. that person, actually go search them out on YouTube where the conversion is, I would say, a lot, quote unquote, easier to a product. Yeah, which is why I am not against putting my content on those channels because why not? They're there. And because now that they all basically do the same thing now where everyone's doing short form video now, all every platform, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snap, then I'm like, okay. If YouTube's doing it too, and YouTube makes more sense to me because it's like, I could do a short form video, which is a commercial for my long form video. And since you're already on the app, you're like, oh, wait, let me go onto this channel. Oh, there's longer videos. Subscribe. I'm there. I can get longer videos now. And all of a sudden I'm being sold to and like conversions happen. Whereas on Instagram, my only option is it's only short videos. So I can never consume long videos unless I leave the app. And that's not what they want. That said, I'm already doing that content for YouTube. Like, 
back in the day, it used to be like you had to make like a separate Facebook post with like different aspect ratios of the photos that had to be like platform specific content development. Now it's one video that rules them all. You know, maybe you change the titles and you d use hashtags differently, but like those are like minor little silly things that I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to learn. And I don't think those things have to be all that platform specific. So it is like a better form of leverage, like the way that we're doing it for specifically for Money Lab, which the test that we're doing right now is we are shooting a video podcast. So we will take a topic. I will essentially write a script, which will become a blog post. And then we will do a video podcast where everything is like switched live. We're here in the studio. We are switching cameras. We are putting this show on live. That full form video I am not putting on YouTube. Instead, I am putting that video in my private community as like an exclusive video podcast for my community as a value add. Then I'm taking that audio and I'm ripping it from it and I'm putting that as a public audio only podcast. Then I'm taking that 30 minute to 45 minute to hour long podcast, maybe two hour long podcast and editing it down for super high retention rate for a traditional YouTube video where you have like B-roll and effects and like all of that stuff. And then we take that and chop it up into like however many shorts we can get out of it. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, and then basically go, okay, one day of filming gets us one to maybe like eight to 10 pieces of content, like one topic of filming. And that's the strategy that we're going for because it like basically just gives us content for the entire brand across all platforms like even the blog. Interesting. Yeah, that's cool how you're kind of creating the the more unfiltered piece for the private community because those are the people that have more affinity for you, right? They may watch content just because it's it's you. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it gives a value add too. So I could say, if you want to see the video version of this, join the community. I could say that in our YouTube videos, I could say, that, which is the ultimate thing we're trying to sell. So like in that case, like it all makes sense that they would get that. Like last year, I was so bad with like producing content for my homebrewing channel, which is really like a passion project. And it's because I teach people this stuff. I have some university, which to a lot of people feels like kind of unattainable, especially at a lower scale, because it's like, okay, you have four or five courses, you have millions of visitors and we sell like physical products now. So like a lot of it's like, okay, well, I'm just getting started. And it's like, okay, cool. I am also over here. I have a homebrewing site that is a passion of mine and doing it the way that I would do it if I was just starting out. I have two playgrounds to kind of teach from. And that particular one, I had this idea for on to do YouTube videos that were basically like mini movies where we just put months of work into a single video because no one does that. It's really because it's really hard to do. But like, how would that affect growth? And how would that affect sales if you really did put like a lot of effort into a single video? Like, oh, like uh, a Johnny Harris, if you watch him on YouTube. Yeah. Right. Well, just from like a production value, you're like, holy crap, this is on YouTube. Like think about how many hours go into just that one video production. Yes. I'm not a huge fan of his work because it's a, still a talking head at the end of the day. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm not a fan of it. Like, I'm not a fan of like that in general, I'm not into like journalism content. So it's not like him specifically. So like we have this idea for a video where I want to brew a Kolsch, which is like a traditional like German beer. And you can and really like you can't even make a Kolsch in anywhere else but in Cologne, Germany. Right. So in the video, I want to be like, look, I want to brew this beer, but I've never had a real Kolsch from Cologne. Like I'm going to go and then like go to Cologne, like drink the beer, like do this whole montage. But the montage of me in Cologne is like 10 to 30 seconds and then finish out the video as like this, like massive, like magnum opus to this 
beer. And then like just in an epicness of being like, wait, he flew to Germany and did this whole thing for 30 seconds. Like that's insane. That's so much effort and work. And like outside of just like putting a bunch of graphics on the screen. Again, that's one of those things anybody can do. And it's an AI is going to make that easier. What they can't do is like the stuff that Mr. Beast is doing or just creators that are like, really putting a lot of themselves and there's something that's like truly epic. And then there's just like, wow, this clearly was just tedious amounts of work, which I think there's value to that too. And the audience does care that you put that amount of work in, but you probably don't even realize that it's a lot of work. But, you know, flying to another country is like everyone can feel like not a lot of people know how long it takes him to do all those graphics on those channels. And I know they take a lot of work. So like as a creator, I go like, that's a lot. I probably wouldn't have done that much. But everyone can universally understand travel or like giving away tons of money or not that I I want to do that. Or tons of beer. Yeah, I I give away free beer all day. Yeah, yeah. Let's have like bigger ideas that would take me outside of my studio. And I think that that is interesting. So it sounds like just in general, you've got your core businesses, which are like built on these sites, and then you're leaning more heavily into video content, primarily building that base around YouTube, as you put it, like future proof your business, because who knows how things will evolve. But we both know digital you and me's are going to be well into the future. At least they look believable and enough where people sit there and watch 10, 20, 30 minutes of something. Yeah. And if you were to look at our swim university videos, those could easily be created by AI at some point because they're just animations. I think we may have to switch back to my face and like my personality. That's the other thing too. Like another reason to go to video for me is one, I've always been better at it than writing, but it's, but it's harder. And that's the true answer. But I feel like I'm better at making a video than I am at writing a blog post. Unfortunately, like I'm the one who's good at it. And so it's hard for me to scale it because it's like, I want to do the work. But at the same time, I feel like if we go back to the model of like using my personality, that's one thing I'm like going back to like all of this stuff, like homebrewing and and pools and money lab and why I don't have a site around some other random niche that I have nothing to do with is because I don't have to do any research. I can just lean back on my own personality and my own interests and make something from that. I don't have to use AI because I know it. And that's something I kind of feel like can't be taken away from me. If you look at Money Lab content, it's not SEO'd at all. Like I don't do any SEO content. I just write like if I'm journaling a thing that I'm actually working on. And again, like I kind of feel like AI doesn't can't replace that. And the only way that that site gets traffic is from social media and word of mouth because someone's like, oh, this person did this. This is a really cool piece of content that he did. Like yesterday, somebody sent out a a thing that was like, this guy made a rap album in 30 days pre AI. And um, it's like, I did that. I literally did that, wrote it, made a whole thing. And like that lives on forever. Right. And it's like, okay, no one can take that away from me. It has nothing really to do with business besides like the topic of the some of the lyrics. But that was something I did. And I have a a timeline that I put up of my entire life of as like a digital entrepreneur. And, you know, it's like no one can no one's going to do that. No one's going to replicate that. It's not going to replicate that because it's me. It would be a lie if they did. Going back to like, you know, anybody who's starting a niche site, which is like I just did a video on this. It's it's like, yeah, just do what you like and that you can write about and don't mind putting your personality into because like, again, that's the one thing that they can't take away from you and it just makes it just makes sense to me but yeah i get that like not everyone's interested in pools yeah but in for 17 years that's impressive yeah it was my first summer job as a 13 year old boy in 1993 do you think you need to be passionate or just interested in the topic i don't think you need to be passionate i don't even know what that means i will say this i've used the term passion when it comes to homebrewing 
I would say I'm obsessed with beer. I live and breathe it. I don't even drink it every day, but I really wish that I could. I am not passionate about pools, but when I got that first summer job, I liked being good at my job because it's really weird to be a 13, 14 year old boy and having like the town adults come in to ask you questions about their house problems. Like that's a weird power dynamic. And I was like, I like this feeling. So I liked being really smart at pools, right? So like I overtrained myself in this topic when anybody else would have been like quiet quit at that job, right? Because they're just like, I don't want to go to work. Like I don't care about pools. It's like, yes, I didn't care about it either. I cared about how it made me feel delivering the information. So it was like, I needed to be good at it for my own like ego or whatever it was. So to answer that question, I don't think you need to be passionate about the topic. You need to be passionate about the business of the topic. And if you are super passionate about solving problems, no matter if it's about beard oil or record players or you know, smart home tech or whatever the hell I'm looking around at my uh, office. If you're passionate about solving that problem and, and passionate about business and being good at that, then I think any topic will work. It just makes it easier when you already know the topic, right? So it's like, oh, I can be passionate about the business of pool care, but then I also know a lot about pools. So like it's effortless for me to write an article about pool algae because I've solved this problem so many times. All I have to do is type it instead of saying it out loud. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And I agree. Uh, completely. And Matt, it's been awesome to to bring you on and to chat about AI. It's probably not what you thought we were going to talk about today. No, but AI, it's, it's the hot, it's the hot top. And all your different sites, if people want to check them out, there's Swim University, is it dot com? Dot com. Money Lab, is that dot com or dot co? co? And you got Brew Cabin. Dot com. And then uh, uh, I will have thrown up some of your tweets that we started off with up on the screen. Yes. So, and I'll throw another one up here. So if you guys want to follow him on Twitter as well, it's pretty active over there. Yeah. Uh, but right. dude, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man. Chat. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, cool dude.